Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. Capella University's game-changing FlexPath format helps you learn at your own pace and fit earning a degree into your life. From before you enroll to after you graduate, you'll be supported by people who are invested in your success so you can pursue your goals knowing that help is available if you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Everything's changing so fast these days, and that's a great thing. I mean, back in my day, we were lucky if we could get one video to load on our desktop computer. But now there's the Xfinity 10G network. That means the fastest internet with faster speeds rolling out every day and internet that can power a house full of devices at once with ultra low lag. So while one person streams a movie from their room, another can play video games in the basement while another TikToks in the kitchen. It's the next generation 10G network only from Xfinity. The future starts now. Restrictions apply. Actual speeds vary and not guaranteed. This isn't your average business podcast, and he's not your average host. This is the James Altucher Show. Today on the James Altucher Show. I like to give solid, actionable advice. Yes, the world feels like it's falling apart. Sometimes even for me, it feels like there is so much chaos, so much arguing, so much hate. But whenever there is change like this, there has to be, there has to be opportunities created. So that's why I love talking about what we talked about in the podcast today. Here are the summaries of three 30-day book challenges, including a new one, The Economics of Adultery, and I share, a lot of people sometimes say, hey, what, what's, what does an idealist look like? What is your idealist of the day? Well, I'm going to start sharing more of those. And in this podcast today, I share my idealist of the day with Robin. I talk about the difference between dopamine, serotonin, and oxytocin and how it relates to your productivity and many more things. So text me questions, topics, and feedback at 203 590 8607, and I hope you enjoy this. Here we go. Hey there, everybody. Welcome to the latest live. I'm going to summarize some of the 30-day book challenges and see how you're doing. I'm also going to summarize uh, some of the $10 million business ideas, and I'm going to answer some questions. Robin should be here shortly. Uh, she's working on some stuff, so she will be here soon. And let's get started. First, there's always, I can't believe how much BS headlines there are every day. It's almost not even worth summarizing them anymore. At least in the beginning, there was some interesting ones. Now, I just read that HBO is... HBO Max is not going to air some South Park episodes that that mention Muhammad. You know, so South Park has been making fun of Jesus, Muhammad, Satan, Saddam Hussein for 25 years. Like I remember before South Park came out, I actually watched the they 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 cobbled together a 5-minute episode to pitch Comedy Central that this should be a show. Now, Comedy Central was half-owned by HBO, and at the time, I worked at HBO. So I actually watched their pitch for South Park, and the entire pitch was was making fun of Jesus. Like, Jesus was 
fighting Satan at Christmas. There was some, I forget now the exact uh, story, but South Park has forever been making fun of Muhammad. So what does HBO Max do? They pull the episodes of South Park, they pull at least three episodes of South Park making fun of Muhammad. This is just ridiculous. Like, first off, South Park made their entire brand by going beyond what people thought they should make fun of. It's not like the Iranian Ayatollah has put out a fatwa on the South Park creators. Second, HBO made their entire brand from, oh, well, welcome, Robin. Hello. Welcome to the podcast. Oh, not too much, not too much light. They can't, it's dark. Um, HBO built their entire brand on pushing the edge. Like, let's just, let's look at the history of HBO for just a second, because it's very informative. And it's, and it, and it, often in an industry, there is some company that defines and changes the entire industry. And then later on, you see that the executives in the entire industry all were, re were previously employees of that initial company. So for instance, there's something called the PayPal Mafia. You know, Peter Thiel, Elon Musk, the founders of YouTube, uh, the founder of Yelp, all of these guys were originally employees of PayPal and went on to create multi-billion or trillion dollar companies. HBO was like that for TV. So HBO started off as a movie channel. They just, they bought the rights to movies that were in the theaters and they eventually aired them. I remember in the late seventies, early eighties, I couldn't wait for like R rated movies to get on HBO. I would come home and we were the only one in the neighborhood with HBO. So my friends would come over and then everybody would watch like, I don't know, some R rated movie. I can't even remember any of them, but it was great. It was fantastic. But then HBO was smart. They said, hey, eventually airing movies, this is just a commodity. Anybody could do this. Let's produce our own original content and air that. And they were geniuses. They started, um, they started airing, oh, you know, I think the sound of the air conditioning is too loud. Oh. Can you guys hear the air conditioning? Can you hear the air conditioning, Jay? We'll wait to see Jay's response. But, uh, Yes, choppy. All right, let's just, let's just pull this. And, oh, I should, it's choppy. Oh, I don't know how to, oh, there we go. Um, so then HBO uh, created, uh, uh, oh, they keep losing us. I don't know why. Maybe we have a bad internet connection. Feed is glitchy uh, on everybody's side. Is there anybody using no, the TV nobody. or? Uh, I can go check the TV. We'll fix it. Uh, we'll see what happens. But uh, HBO started doing shows like, I don't know if you remember Dream On or if you remember the Larry Sanders show, but then they started doing The Sopranos, uh, Sex in the City. Uh, I did the websites for all these shows actually when I worked at HBO. So Sex in the City, uh, The Sopranos, Larry Sanders Show, uh, Broadwork Empire, Deadwood, Carnival. Uh, HBO became known for creating the most original, creative, edgy content. And that's how they, they really catapulted to the top. So, so then HBO, I mean, I remember when I worked there, they had about 30 million subscribers paying $20 a month. Like they were so insanely profitable. It was ridiculous. So what happened? 
the entire industry became duplicated HBO's model. Guess what? The head of Showtime, which was the main competitor for HBO, the CEO of Showtime was formerly the marketing, the head of marketing at HBO. Then Viacom, the CEO of Viacom at one point was the former CEO of HBO. Universal, the head of Universal at one point was the former CEO of HBO. Uh, I'm trying to think of even more companies. Amazon, one of their heads of original programming when they first made the show transparent. Those creators came from HBO. Uh, Netflix, the people who made House of Cards, worked at HBO at one point. Um, the, the head of Bravo, or no, the head of Stars, is the former CEO of HBO. So always in an industry, there's one industry that kind of sets the tone and defines like the entire industry, just like how PayPal has done it for tech, uh, HBO did it for television. But now HBO, rest in peace. The fact that you just pulled three episodes of South Park simply because they mentioned Muhammad, you're just pandering to uh, an audience that you're no longer going to have. It's all over HBO. I, I don't even know if we're gonna subscribe to HBO Max now. What is the point? So forget it. Uh, and I feel sorry for you. It was such a great brand, such a great, being working at HBO meant something. I myself worked there for a while. I really learned how to manage a company that is, that is just always the, on the cutting edge of, of originality and creativity. The, the management was, was, was excellent. But anyway, for me, that's the BS headline of the day. More, more pandering. Well, everybody now, I feel like everybody now is a prisoner to whoever is controlling the media message. And by the way, the whole term woke, I feel it used to mean something different. It used to mean you had care, just a few years ago, it means, meant you had maybe some care and consideration for uh, uh, people of different background than you so that you didn't always assume people had the same values and, and standards or not standards, but the same values yeah. and, and needs of your particular cultural background. So every cultural background has different interests, needs, goals, whatever. And now, you know, I describe uh, in a tweet, the definition of a cult. And I've described it here before, but I'll describe it again, because it's going to be part of our uh, a new 30 day book challenge. Actually, let's start with the 30 day book challenge. Here's the definition of a cult. Specialized vocabulary, levels of achievement, sacred text, a charismatic leader, expulsion of apostates, aggression against near believers, and arcane rituals. So a lot of things fulfill the definition of a cult. Every religion obviously fulfills the definition of a cult. Uh, so like, let's just take Judaism. Okay, in Judaism, there's a specialized vocabulary. It's called Hebrew. And, but there's things like a bar mitzvah and Orthodox. And um, I don't even know, I'm not even so Jewish, but uh, I was just reading about, you know, in New York City, there's something called, I was reading this yesterday. There's something called an Arav. Do you know what that is? So it's a, a wire, uh, Victoria probably knows this. Uh, there's a wire that surrounds New York City, from Houston Street all the way up to 146th Street. Mm. And the wire goes across all the phone lines. And what it means is that on the Sabbath, so on the Sabbath in Judaism, you can't take an object from one house to another. Okay. 
because in the building of the second temple of Jerusalem, they, uh, whatever activity you, you would do during the building of this temple on the day of rest, on the Sabbath, you cannot do. So it's all, so that's why you can't, um, for whatever reason, I guess they, they didn't have electricity then, so I don't know, but you can't like hit an elevator button, you can't flip on the light switch, you can't turn on the water, you can't turn on the oven, you can't bring a book from outside to inside. Um, but if you have an Erev, an E-R-U-V, that surrounds the town, uh-huh then you can, it's treated as one giant room, and you can actually move a book from one location really? to another. Yes, so I don't know, it's a special- It's like a loophole? It's a loophole, yes. <laughs> There's lots of loop. Judaism is like the religion of lawyers. There are tons of loopholes in Judaism. Um, so there's a specialized vocabulary. Uh, there's levels of achievement. So for instance, when you're bar mitzvah, you go from boy to a man, and then if you're a um, uh, I forget all the levels. If you're, of course, if you're a rabbi or if you're, if you're a co, a Cohen, like people with the last name Cohen are considered Cohanes and they're, they're the, allowed to become rabbis. I don't know. And then there's different, there's reform, cons, um, conservative, orthodox, ascetic, those kind of levels of how religious you are. Um, of course, there's a sacred text. There's the Torah and the Talmud. There's, is there charismatic leaders? Yes, in your community, there's like a rabbi, but also, you know, there's different religious leaders that kind of rise above. Uh, I don't know, I won't go into the whole thing. But wokeism, which exists right now, and I talk about this on my podcast next week with Tucker Max, but I'll describe it here. Wokeism is this weird cult, and I'm not afraid to say it because I have liberal values and beliefs and I'm just disgusted though by everybody trying to pander to whoever is the most woke voice because you're afraid that everybody will expel you from the cool club you. if you're not woke, right? Yeah, they have the whole cancel code. But if you cancel everybody, then you've cancel. canceled nobody. There's nobody right. left to cancel. Of course, there's a specialized vocabulary. There's woke. I mean, I heard JK Rowling the other day was referred to as a TERF, a trans exclusionary radical feminist. So there's all these weird words. There's levels of achievement. That's the whole basis of intersectionality in wokeism, that if your voice is more, if your uh, group is more oppressed in some cultural way than other groups, then your voice rises up higher. There's, we see that there's sacred texts all the time. Right now, there's, um, oh, people keep cutting out. I, I don't know what to say. Um, but when this appears on the podcast, it'll be perfect audio because it'll be the recording on my side. But sacred text for wokeism, well, right now the best-selling book on Amazon, even bigger than the latest Hunger Games book, is the book White, uh, white Fragility, which basically is, is written by a white woman. And it, it, it basically, I haven't read it, so I won't comment, but that's considered, right, it's a best-selling book. It's considered the sacred text right now of wokeism. Mm-hmm. A charismatic leader, there are many charismatic leaders in wokeism. Maybe you can say AOC, or when the Chaz was around, there was... Raz Simone, or I don't know, anybody, all these, all these people are trying to take the role of the charismatic leader of wokeism. There's certainly expulsion of apostates, that's cancel culture. So if someone was woke, and then suddenly they say something, like JK Rowling was woke until she liked something that another feminist did who wasn't completely woke, so now she's been expelled from the, the cult of wokeism. There's aggression against near believers, so for instance, Joe Biden actually is a near believer and 
the people who love Bernie Sanders often hate Joe Biden because he, although he is to the left, he is not as left as Bernie Sanders. By the way, I would check out Joe Biden's tax policies. You will see they are very much just as left as Bernie Sanders, but people don't believe it. Um, uh, and there's arcane rituals. So I don't know what an arcane ritual is, but you saw during these um, protests, which were very often peaceful protests, but every now and then you'd see these photos where, you know, people were washing the feet of other people. Like, I don't know, all these weird things were going on. So, uh, and, and by the way, Trump believers have also uh, uh, specialized vocabulary, levels of achievement, blah, blah, blah. So you could find cults everywhere in society. And I think the greatest thing is to not be in a cult. And I feel like HBO Max, just to bring it all the way around, mm-hmm. HBO Max has pandered to the cult of wokeism um, by doing this with South Park. You can't pander to the cults or else you become part of them. And it's, yeah. and it's not good. Then you need brainwashing to, to get off it. But here is the 30-day book challenge, the new 30-day book challenge. I want you to list 20 cults. So, and, and they could be from all over the place. They could be wokeism, they could be Trumpism, they could be uh, uh, whatever, people who uh, believe in owning a house. Um, people, you know, find all the people in your life who are just, you know, religious about one thing in particular and they, and they won't like you if you don't believe in, in exactly what they believe in. So, you know, the, 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 the 100% pro-gun group is, could be considered a cult. 100% pro-life or 100% pro-choice, whatever it is. For everybody, this is the great thing about a 30-day book challenge. I always try to structure these challenges so everybody has a different set of answers. So create, so, so write, think of 10 cults that you've encountered in your life. Write about one or two pages, how it fits this definition of a cult that I described earlier. Uh, talk a little bit about the history of the cult, you know, why, fill in the blanks, why it's a cult, you know, specialized vocabulary all the way to arcane rituals. And, and then maybe talk about your own experience with them. So when I was in eighth grade, I will admit, I joined uh, um, what is widely considered a cult that would involve, I would skip school against, you know, my parents didn't know I would skip school. I would take a bus to New York City. I would go to the offices of this cult and we'd sit around meditating all day. I did this for like the entire year of eighth grade. And, uh, you know, if you have personal experiences with cults, then power to you and, and write about it. Again, a book doesn't have to be a 250 page book. Write a 20 page book, go to Fiverr for a cover, upload to Amazon and you've just self-published a book. Call it, uh, you know, the, the, the 10, the, the, you know, the 20 cults of 2020, boom. <laughs> or whatever you wanna call it, call it, um, you know, 10 cults that, that shaped US history or the 10 cults of, of television. So for instance, a belief that Seinfeld is the best TV show ever, that is certainly a cult. So the cults don't have to be big, fancy cults. They could be anything. Do the 10 cults of around different athletic figures or whatever. So, or, you know, or you can write about, you know, modern day cults like uh, Scientology and the Moonies. If you don't know what that is, look it up. 
You can write about real cult, or you can write about the 10 biggest religions and show how their cults are 10 political parties and show how their cults. So, but the 30 day book challenge, write about 10 cults for each one. What's the history of that cult? What do they believe in? Blah, blah, blah. What's the legal history? And then how they fit the definition of a cult. Uh, maybe some interesting stories about them, like how people got deprogrammed or brainwashed or with the Moonies, how they married 30,000 people in a day. And then talk about your own experience thinking about these cults or, or whatever. So that's, uh, yeah, so the connection is very choppy, everyone is saying. I don't know. I don't know, but we will put this on Instagram, uh, the Instagram feed afterwards, and I will also release this as a podcast, so you'll have perfect audio then. Um, I don't know what to say. We have a choppy. Let me just, I'm going to do speedtest.net and just see why it's so choppy. Robin being very protective of me moves by a cup of coffee because she knows uh, uh, that I will probably spill it. So download speeds are very good. A little lower than usual though. And then we'll see upload speeds in a second. Download speeds are about 300 meg a second. Um, anyway, that's the 30 day book challenge of uh, the month. And I do think you should finish this. Oh, you know, our upload speed is very good. It's about 40 megs a second. That should be good enough. Um, I do think you should be able to accomplish this 30 day book challenge in the next 30 days. It only has to be a 20 page book. By the way, I'm going to summarize some of the other 30 day book challenges. Pick one, do a book in the next 30 days. Here's what will happen if you do a book in the next 30 days. I will feature. So what day is it today? July 7th. I will feature your book somewhere on a blog post, on a LinkedIn newsletter, on my main newsletter, or even in this podcast, I will, I will feature all the books people do in a 30 day book challenge. So some other, some other 30 day book challenges that I've talked about before, I've talked about how, um, there are, first off, again, remember the definition of a book. Now that you can self publish is not the definition that a publisher will tell you a mainstream publisher like Penguin or Simon and Schuster. They will say a book has to be 60,000 words, give or take 250 pages, give or take, and has to go into bookstores. That is not the definition of a book. Uh, if you remember, uh, I've talked about Kamal Ravikant's book, love yourself like your life depends on it. That book was just 8,000 words and 20 pages. And it was a bestseller book. Like that book made more money for him than just about any book made for any author it sold millions of copies. So a book could easily be 20 or 30 pages. And, uh, I'm going to give you th three more 30 day book challenges. Uh, that I've given you before, but I'll summarize them really quickly. And by the way, there are people out there who make a living writing 30 day, writing books in 30 days, and then writing 12 books a year or even more. So, uh, I've had on my podcast, Steve Scott, he's written so many books. Sometimes he goes by SJ Scott. There's another guy out there, Patrick King. If you go to Patrick King's page, and I don't know this guy, he's got like hundreds of books he's written and they're all like the art of the conversation, the art of the small talk conversational tips and tricks, how to be charismatic at a cocktail party. I don't know. I'm making up these titles, but they're all like kind of the same. And he writes book after book after book. And if you just make $500 a month per book, if you've written 12 books, you're making 6,000 a month. You can make a really good living writing these 30 day books and they're not that hard. 
the outline I just gave you for the 30 day book challenge about cults, the 20 cults of 2020, you can do it. That's just writing a couple hundred words a day, two or three paragraphs a day. Trust me, you can do it. So here's another one. Um, pick a category like entrepreneurship or persuasion or habits. And I, I may mention those categories because they're popular categories on Amazon. So let's say I put entrepreneurship or happiness. Let's say I, I Google happiness at, and go to SSRN, Sam, Sam, Richard, Nancy.com, SSRN.com. That's a database of a million academic research papers. Search for happiness at SSRN. There are all these academic papers will show up. They're completely boring. Nobody wants to read any of these academic papers on happiness. So what you do, pick 10 of the papers that you think are interesting, summarize them from the lay, for the layman and say this academic study, you can even say, like, I'll do it right now. I have, by the way, I have not searched for SSRN at, uh, I've not searched for happiness at SSRN.com. So I don't, for all I know, there's nothing there. Um, I keep saying, um, that's a bad practice. After all these years of podcasting, I should stop saying, okay. So I just searched for happiness at SSRN.com. Boom. The first paper, feeling good about giving the benefits of self-interested charitable behavior. Okay. Where is this a, a BS paper? No. Harvard Business School, published at Harvard Business School, uh, August 2009. Okay. Chapter, the 10 most important habits for, or the 10 ways, 10 10 scientifically proven ways to boost your happiness. That's the 30 day book that we're going to call it. Um, first one, give, and then you quote this study that they did at Harvard and, uh, and then you talk about your own experience with giving. And then maybe you discuss, I don't know, uh, some great philanthropist and how it, they went from sad to happy from by giving a uh, great example, uh, Scott Hoffman, I think he was like an investment banker and then he, he was disgusted with his life. So he quit that and he started charity water and now he's an incredibly happy guy. So here you, here's an example from the, the business world. Then you tell an example from your own world and then you quote, um, this scientific study that's about three pages, one study, it'll take you a day to do it or two days and boom, you do 10 of these paper, 10 scientifically, uh, uh, proven ways to boost your happiness. The book could be done in 30 days. Um, here's the financial psychology of worry. Here's subjective well-being. Here's therapeutic forgetting. Here's using real world examples to enhance. Uh, no, that's boring. Um, uh, how does, um, how does marriage affect physical and psychological health? Does employee happiness have an impact? Uh, oh no. Here's a good one. I'm curious about this one written in 2010. It's in the journal of consumer psychology. If money doesn't make you happy, consider time. Boom. You can now do uh, a, a 30 day book about happiness. Now, what if I type in persuasion? Um, let's go back to the beginning. I'm going to put in persuasion. Let's say you want to write, 10 scientifically proven ways to, uh, to persuade people better. Um, uh, let's see. This one looks a little harder. Um, um, scan, I don't know. Um, post-it note persuasion, a sticky influence. 
from Sam Houston State University, Journal of Consumer Psychology, 2005. So I'll click on that and um, it shows how post-it notes actually will persuade you to improve your habits. So boom, something as simple as a post-it note can um, influence you or maybe influence others. I don't know, I haven't read the paper. You s again, these papers are boring on purpose. So that's why there's a huge value to society. You could write the 10 scientifically proven ways to increase your persuasion and summarize in layman's terms, terms 10 of these papers from SSRN.com. Talk about examples, talk about the exact specifics of the scientific study that they did without being boring, because they're boring, you won't be. And then talk about an example from history, maybe Napoleon did something like this that was persuasive. And then talk about an example from your own life. Boom, do it 10 times, you have a 30 day book. So that's 30 day book challenge number two. First one was give us 20 cults. This one is 10 scientifically proven ways to do X. Um, let's, let's find another one. Uh, look, I'm saying uh all the time. All right, this one's a great one. We know, here's what we know about books. It's very hard to say what's gonna be a bestseller and what isn't, except we know one thing. We know that the best-selling books in the past 5,000 years were all religious books. The Bible, the Tao Te Ching, the Bhagavad Gita, the Quran, the, the you know, Buddha's uh, eight, eight noble, you know, four noble truths or eightfold path. Uh, every religion has texts that have been focus grouped by history and have withstood the test of time. Um, does the Jehovah's Witness have a sacred text? Uh, well, they have books that they've, yeah, that they've made. I don't know if it's secret, but... No, sacred. Or sacred? Yeah. Not really, just the Bible. Like, what's the history? Has someone ever written, like, a history of the Jehovah's Witnesses? Probably, but uh, I think uh, this man from New York in Brooklyn created it back in really? the 1800s, yeah. I did not and know he that. He started it by selling, like, magic, magical seeds, wheat or something like that. It was like a persuade, you know... He a persuasion expert? <laughs> Interesting. So, so look, there's, there's the Analects of Confucius. There's the Four Noble Truths of Buddhism. There's the Yoga Sutras. One time I did an experiment. The Yoga Sutras has a line, it's a, it's a 195 line poem about yoga. And there's one line in there, which talks about the nine ways to um, prevent enlightenment. There were nine things that will keep you from enlightenment. And I, I, and it was word for word what the nine things were, like inertia, um, laziness, whatever. And so I wrote an article because I knew that text had been popular for 2,500 years. I wrote an article for TechCrunch, the entrepreneur blog. I wrote an article, nine things that will make you a failure. And I just use word for word without giving the Yoga Sutras credit, by the way, I use word for word the exact nine things that will prevent you from enlightenment, I use those that will prevent you from being a successful entrepreneur. That was my most successful, by page views, my most successful article ever on TechCrunch because I knew that the world and history had focus grouped that one line, those words. So I knew that that structure would work. So take one, take your favorite religious text or even some obscure religious text that has survived the past 3,000 years and then Pick your favorite topic and you can combine them. It's idea sex. 
That's why you have books like Zen and the Art of Archery, Zen in the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance, The Tao of Pooh. There's so many, what's the, um, the Art of War in Branding and the Art of War in Entrepreneurship. There's Zen and the Art of Writing by Ray Bradbury. There's the Tao of Health, Sex, and Longevity. Uh, there's the Art of War for Women. And then Stephen Pressfield, my good friend, was writing about writing, so he wrote The War of Art. So take your favorite 3,000 year old book, take concepts from it and combine it with your favorite topic. Like, you know, one great example, another one is the inner game of tennis. But let's say, I don't know, entrepreneurship is your favorite topic. Take quotes from, if you want, from the Tao Te Ching. So Lao Tzu said this, now apply it to entrepreneurship, talk about an experience from your own life, talk about an experience from another entrepreneur like Richard Branson, Elon Musk, Sarah Blakely, Tyra Banks, just take 20 of these and now you have the Tao of Entrepreneurship and you it's a 20 or 30 page book and you've written it in 30 days, you have the Tao of Entrepreneurship, then do the Tao of Persuasion, then they do the Tao of Bowling, the Tao of Chess, the, the inner game of parenting, the, the, the Four Noble Truths of Marriage. Uh, and uh, uh, or Okay, so here's an example. The Art of War, which is written by Sun Tzu, I don't know, thousands of years ago, he has a chapter where you analyze your, you make, don't go into war unless you analyze your opponent's weak points and strong points. That's all it says. So then you could take an example, you know, you could have the, you know, the war of entrepreneurship. You take an, an example from Richard Branson's life. Oh, he started an airline when he was 27 years old. How did he do it? Well, he used the art of war. He, he called up Boeing and said, can I borrow a plane? Boeing said, of course you can't. You're a 27-year-old hippie. We're not giving you a plane. Are you insane? And Richard Branson, because he used the art of war, he studied their weak points. He said, listen, Boeing, you have no, there, there's a monopoly in England. British Airways is the monopoly. So you don't have any pricing pressure when you're selling a plane to British Airways. If you lend me a plane for a year, maybe you'll have, you'll increase pricing pressure and uh, boom. So they said, oh, he's right. Uh, let's lend him a plane. So now that's the art of war in entrepreneurship. You have a, a book. So again, take a religious text, uh, take your favorite quotes from it, apply it to modern day situations, tell modern day stories, tell your own stories if you have them, and boom, another 30 day book. You should be able to finish that. You only have to take 10 examples and you have the Tao of entrepreneurship or the Zen and the art of parenting. Um, you know, the inner game of, of uh, I don't know, marriage, whatever. I don't know if Zen goes into the same, you know, sentences parenting. <laughs> no, no, Zen very much does actually. I'm just I'll, I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. Because I remember thinking this when I was, when my kids were very little, you have to be extremely Zen when you're with, uh, and you know this, we have to be extremely Zen when you're with a three-year-old because Zen just means there's all these things happening around that you have to just uh, notice them, but ignore and focus very much on what's, bring your focus back to the center of attention, which is your child. Times three. Times three. So Zen and the Art of Parenting, <laughs> chapter one we just did, head start. Uh, so, so by the way, on um, an earlier uh, podcast from three months ago, four months ago, uh, Brendan Lemon, we were doing a podcast about this technique with a friend of ours, Brendan Lemon, he wrote the Stoic Salesman after the podcast. He did the, he wrote it within 30 days to the day. 
He took the principles of Stoicism, right now they would be very proud. He took the principles of Stoicism, applied them to salesmanship, put up the Stoic salesman, and it's selling on Amazon. Wow. And again, if you have 12 books out there and each yeah. book is making $5, $500 a book on average, that's 6,000 a year or 6,000 a month. That's 72,000 a year. The next year you're making 144,000 a year and so on. So I know, so Steve Scott, when he was on my podcast and these were in like a hundred or so books using these techniques, Steve Scott was making $60,000 a month from writing these tiny little books. So don't knock it wow. till you try it. Yes, it's totally true. Airbnb has changed my life. If anything, they have made my life so much better. Like I used to live in Airbnbs. I, I lived in over 100 or 200 different Airbnbs over a three-year period, and I loved it. I, loved, I became a really good guest of Airbnbs, and I got to know lots of hosts. So when I initially owned a house, I, of course, the first thing I thought was I'm going to turn my house into an Airbnb because I travel a lot. So why leave my house unused when I can make a side income by letting others Airbnb my house or come to stay in my house as guests and having my own Airbnb or, or being a host for Airbnb has allowed me to do just that. And I've met other hosts. I've actually spoken at Airbnb's host conference. I think it was in 2017. I met so many just nice hosts. It's a great community. And I love, you know, turning my own home into an Airbnb. Like I'm traveling to Austin next month. My home's going to be an Airbnb while I'm away. And I'll stay in an Airbnb. I'd rather stay in like a three-story house Airbnb than in one tiny hotel room in, in the middle of Austin during South by Southwest. So listen, while you're away, your home could be an Airbnb. Many people host on Airbnb, but there are people who are just letting their house sit empty, who've never thought about it or didn't realize their space could be an Airbnb. Hosting can easily fit into your lifestyle and is a great way to earn some extra money. So if you have a home, but you're not always at home, then you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Daylight savings time is starting up again. Okay, podcast is over. That's all you needed to know. But why do we have uh, daylight savings time? Answer, to give us more daylight from March through November. By setting your clocks forward, it may feel like there are more hours in the day that initial, when we initially start daylight savings. But if you're hiring, it doesn't necessarily help you find qualified candidates for your roles any sooner. There's only one way to do that, ZipRecruiter. And right now you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash James. ZipRecruiter works around the clock to find qualified candidates for you. Once you post your job on ZipRecruiter, they send it to 100 plus job sites so you reach more of the right people. This is such a brilliant idea for a business and ZipRecruiter did it. So ZipRecruiter's smart technology also quickly scans thousands of resumes to identify people whose skills and experience match your job. I've used ZipRecruiter particularly as a potential employee and I still to this day get messages every day. James Aldicher, would you like to apply to be VP of en Entertainment at NBC or whatever? 
So there's just nonstop emails. Like I got five or six emails today because of because a year ago I signed up for ZipRecruiter. So spring forward with a new hiring partner, ZipRecruiter, and find top talent sooner. See why four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash James. Once again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash James. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Hey, listen, men's health is important. Men act all cocky and like they don't need anything. But the reality is, as you get older, there's some things you need. And it often feels like we're too busy to take care of our health problems. Like I'd rather do anything than go to the doctor or the dentist or or the pharmacy or whatever. But now you don't have to waste your time if you use HIMSS. HIMSS, H-I-M-S, HIMSS is changing men's healthcare by providing simple and convenient access to science-backed treatments for erectile dysfunction, hair loss, weight loss, and more. The entire process is 100% online, so you get a new routine of improving your overall health faster. Jay, you listening to all this? Yes, I definitely got to use him for now. Not on. that you need it. You're you're young and healthy. James, I'm 35. You you're getting there. You might you might need it. Who knows? But if prescribed, your medication ships directly to you for free and indiscreet packaging. No insurance is needed. You can manage your plan on the Hims app, track progress, and learn more about your conditions and how to treat them from leading medical experts. Start your free online visit today at hims.com slash James. Could you imagine that? There's a whole section just with my name on it. Hims.com slash James. That's how I how much I am representative of the kind of person who needs hymns. That's HIMS.com slash James for your personalized treatment options. Hymns.com slash James. Prescriptions require an online consultation with a healthcare provider who will determine if appropriate. Restrictions apply. See Hymns.com slash James for details and important safety information. Subscription required. Price varies based on product and subscription plan. I want to answer some some questions. So okay, answer yeah, some yeah. questions. Sorry, I've been once again. I think I talk too fast on these, and I don't let you talk. That's okay. I mean, what would you you've do? got a lot of information, so just keep people want all right, all right. the questions answered. I think. All right, all right. Let's see. Uh, uh, well, here's one. Um, what does what does marital fidelity? Someone asked this on. If you mm-hmm. can, you can text me questions at two zero three. Five nine zero eight six zero seven. Look, I'm practicing slowing down. Practicing slowing. Mm-hmm. Somebody asked, "What does marital fidelity mean in today's world?" And it's an interesting question. I'll tell you why for a couple of reasons, and you can tell me why. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think marital the, the everything in life, every even every concept, is a function of economics. So we know the value that we give anything is a, a, a function of supply and demand. Too much supply and the value goes down. Not enough demand, the value goes down. No supply and high demand, value goes up. So when toilet paper, when there was not enough supply in New York City at the beginning of the economic lockdown, two adult 
women actually were fighting on the floor of the Upper West Side Trader Joe's. So like this high end yeah. store. And they were literally in a fist fight over the last roll of toilet paper. So the value of toilet paper for a brief moment in time skyrocketed because demand was huge and supply was low. So the problem with marital fidelity is that supply is huge because there are so many dating websites, whether it's Tinder or Match or, you know, for people having affairs, Ashley Madison, or I don't know, there's a, a billion different dating sites where within seconds you could find someone to have an affair with or have sex with. So supply is very high of sex. Demand always remains the same for the past 70,000 years. If anything, demand maybe has fluctuated a little bit, but demand is basically the same, but supply has gone way up. So that means the value people place on marital fidelity has gone way down. And I think that is interesting. And so you have to sort of find your own reasons that are important. You have, going beyond the value of, you know, for me, three seconds of happiness to, to actually place more value on marital fidelity is an important thing. Like marital fidelity allows you to be happier with the person you're committed to. If you're always dividing your attention between, if I was dividing my attention between Robin and like, oh my gosh, I gotta meet these four other people, then I think I wouldn't have as happy a home life. You also have to value your home life and I wouldn't have as happy a home life. I wouldn't have as good relationship with Robin, who's such an incredible support and balance in my life. Probably fidelity with Robin wouldn't be as exciting because I would think I have all these other alternatives, but that's just a myth because ultimately the marriage with Robin and I would, would disappear. And I don't know, what do yeah, you think? You have to go deeper, you know, and know what the emotional security that you have. Oh, it's making me want to take my clothes off. <laughs> But it's important to have emotional security and, and trust and so many other things that I think make fidelity more important, you know, with yeah. one person. Yeah, I think what happens is people think along one dimension that right. se only sex is important. Yeah. But the reality is fidelity is not just sex, That's it's right. trust and companionship right. and like support yeah. and um, a way of growing older together, mm -hmm. right? Because you know, love changes, right? So when you first meet somebody, uh, the, the first few months is all about the dopamine that's released. Like, oh my God, I can't wait to be around her. But then after that, you know, after a while, like whether it's a couple of years or however long, it moves from the dopamine stage to the serotonin stage. You learn to have a deeper level of satisfaction with the person. And I think, again, it's a market. Like if, if I think the supply of affection and companionship is high, I won't value our relationship as much. And, you know, I won't, I, you know, maybe I'll even demand it, but the supply so high, I won't right. value it and it will fall apart. The value of it will go down. And you think right. this is such an important relationship because we were quarantined together, we're raising kids together, mm -hmm. we're doing all these things together, plus we're best friends in so many ways. So lots of growth. Yeah. So fidelity is an important part of keeping the value of that. Also, Another thing about fidelity is that, and people forget this when they just focus on supply and demand, fidelity increases your oxytocin levels with the other person. So when we were 70,000 years ago, we were all in, you know, not we, 
of primates, our ancestors, were in tribes of 30. And oxytocin is the bonding neurochemical. It makes you feel like you're loved and part of the tribe. And if you're not, if you feel like you're losing the bonding with the tribe, you're in more danger of being eaten by lions. And so, so that's why the oxy, your, your body rewards the increase of oxytocin by making you happier. And oxytocin increases when you have sex and when you're in love and so on. Right. And the oxytocin um, is sort of, is that what people are wanting when, when uh, they want to be part of a group or, you know, part of the woke, you know, um, yeah, it could be, it could be that, or it could be dopamine or it could be serotonin. It's hard to, be to say. Accepted. They want to be accepted and, well, and included into the tribe. It's a good question. So in, in tribal neural, I don't know what should be called. There should be like neural economics or something or neural behavioral yeah. science, but you, for the, in purpose of the tribe, you feel dopamine when you're rising, mm -hmm. when you have the potential to rise in status in the tribe. Mm -hmm. So if I see an apple, and I know I'm going to bring this apple back and the tribe will like me more. Dopamine shoots up. So I have enough energy to climb up and get the apple. Okay. And then when I bring the apple back to the tribe and they all love me and I'm accepted and I feel, oh, this is really nice right now. That's serotonin. And then again, when I feel, when I mate with someone in the tribe and I want to help raise the child, that's oxytocin because I'm bonding with a person in the tribe so I could so so it'll convince me to raise that yeah. help raise that person's child and it's interesting to note oxytocin is also a painkiller so when you're giving birth um, did, I don't know when when you were having a kid mm -hmm. sometimes they give women something called Pitocin mm -hmm. um, to reduce the pain of childbirth and that's actually artificial oxytocin so oxytocin is automatically released in the body in women when they give birth so it's an automatic painkiller right. to make childbirth more um, satisfying well, the, instead of just painful. Well, the Pitocin is what actually makes you go into labor. Right. So again, yeah. everything is and used to the reduce the pain. is what makes the pain go away. That's because it's a huge it sedative. Yes. <laughs> um, but, uh, but that's why like maybe people are on Twitter and they get more people that like them and they have a bigger following. Maybe that's giving them these feelings. Yeah. Uh, and I think again, to get back a long time ago, you know, just being in a, in a like when you get likes on Twitter, mm -hmm. that's more of a dopamine thing. Like, Oh, I'm getting more likes. Yeah. So maybe one day I'll be as popular as Kim Kardashian. Yeah. So I'll be accepted in the big Twitter tribe mm -hmm. like Kim Kardashian. So that's a dopamine thing. But you know, it's an interesting thing. They studies show that men only get an oxytocin release in terms of fidelity. Men only get an oxytocin release when they have sex with somebody that they love and women uh, get an oxytocin. So yeah, no, no, no. Uh, men. Oh yeah. I'm, I'm going to get, I'm getting it totally wrong. I think men get an oxytocin release only when they're in love and have sex. Women get an oxytocin release no matter what, when they have sex, mm -hmm. because there's a greater commitment for the women. A, a woman could be nine months pregnant, you know, yeah. for the next nine months after she has sex, a man might not be. So a woman wants to bond right from the act of having sex because she might be committed for the next nine months. So she's got to get that oxytocin release. Right. So, um, interesting, but anyway, uh, uh, next question. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, that was about marital fidelity. Uh, what are the techniques you have found to be more efficient that have allowed you to be more productive? 
It's a very interesting question. Let me repeat it because he asked another question afterwards. What are the techniques you have found to be more efficient that have allowed you to be more productive? Can I answer that? Yes. You married me. I married, <laughs> I married you because you take care of everything except let me and allow me to just sit at this computer all day just talking out loud until you put the camera up and then I'm talking to a group of people. So that's very true. Another thing is, I could say this before, I don't say this now, but in general, new, reading the news used to take me two or three hours a day. Eliminating news from my life allowed me to read more of, of books. Books are much more valuable than news. Believe me, I know all the reporters, they're idiots. And I'd much rather read a great book than read news. So reading news is, is horrible for productivity. So stopping that was great. Having meetings. Meetings are almost always a waste of time. So I used to travel for meetings, a huge waste of time. So just avoiding meetings and news, and I never hit home on Twitter or Facebook. I never hit the, the home button. I, I probably save, or I did save three to five hours a day from just avoiding news, uh, avoiding the home button on social media, and uh, what was the other thing I said? Avoiding meetings. So, and, I, and not talking on the phone. I don't really talk on the phone a lot. I don't, and consequently I don't return calls, but that gives me an extra three or four hours a day of productivity. What yeah. would you say increases your productivity? You're very productive. Uh, just, I guess being organized, more organized in the morning. You make to-do lists? And, and I have my list. I need a list. I never do a to-do list. And I, I mean, sometimes I don't, you know, do all of it and it just carries over. But I try to get all the stuff done that I don't like to do first, and then I feel like I'm doing something, and then I do the other stuff that well, I like to do. <laughs> I can say you're very productive, and I don't know, I, I like... I have you, no it, choice. Another thing also is, don't be afraid to delegate. Like, if you can... If I had somebody to delegate it to, I would. <laughs> well, well, for instance... No, during, I, do, I like to delegate. We At different times, we've had like five kids in our house. Even during the lockdown, we've had up to three or four kids mm -hmm. in the house. And so what we did was, rather than just ordering delivery from grocery stores yeah. or, or ordering from Seamless where the food's too rich or whatever, mm -hmm. we got someone to cheaply make healthy meals and every kid had a different diet. There was mm -hmm. vegetarian, pescatarian, mm -hmm. allitarian, I don't eat cheese, you don't eat fish. Uh, uh, we had someone who cooked and that was a good delegation mm -hmm. to... Um, and then I delegated to the kids a lot of things. You know, have them do some shopping, have them cook sometimes. It's great to have kids because after the age of three, replace the word kid with slave. Like your kids become your slaves. If you parent correctly, like Robin does, your, I, I don't as much. Your kids will just follow your commands. They have to, or else she beats them violently. And I mean, no, I'm just kidding. No, but that's a way for them to learn, you know, how to do certain things, so. Yes. We're doing adulting in our house. <laughs> We're doing adulting. Yes. You have. You need to learn this. You have to go to CVS and pick up a nail clipper. That is your task for the day. Well, they're all getting their driver's license. You know, they're right, and they're resisting. The kids don't want to drive anymore. Like yeah. they're resisting that. They better learn to drive because I don't drive. I need someone to drive me around. Um. So, um, I was going to talk about business ideas. Um. Any questions just randomly out there? Oh, someone's asking, hey, for Risa over here, who's, who's 
single. Let's make this a, a <laughs> oh, which reminds me, I'm going to give you my idea list of the day. And this is a list of bad ideas. Don't forget, don't forget the, impo the importance of writing 10 ideas a day down is to exercise your idea muscle, not to have great ideas. If you had great ideas three, 365 days a year, what would you do? You can't make 3,650 good ideas. That's impossible. The whole point of writing 10 ideas a day down is to exercise the idea muscle. So I'll come up with just the stupidest ideas sometimes. Sometimes I'll deliberately come up. But I read the other day that people were doing more video dating. Like they were meeting on Tinder, but because of the lockdowns, they would meet their potential boyfriend, girlfriend on Zoom. And this is great because the worst thing about dating is that you usually know in the first five seconds whether someone is appropriate for you or not. But sometimes you're just stuck for like a whole meal. And that is the worst. Like when you were dating and you realize you sat down and the person said one word and you realize, oh my God, this is the worst. And then you're stuck for the next three hours. Did that ever happen to you? Uh, very rarely. I didn't date so much, so yeah, but. Good. Uh, so I came up with a list of my best Zoom dating ideas, and I forgot where they are now. Um, okay, so I'll tell you some of the ideas of, com I did idea sex with dating and Zoom, and what, if I were dating, what features I would want on Zoom to make my date even better. So this is my idea, and again, this is a stupid list to make. Who would think, yeah, oh. Yeah, especially because you're married. Yes. So, and because of, <laughs> because of the answer I just gave on about marital fidelity, but I was thinking maybe Zoom could implement these ideas and increase their value even more. This is Zoom's dating app. So, um, the first feature I wrote was, I call this the Cyrano feature. So if I'm going on a date or if Robin's going on a date, she could invite all her friends secretly to go on the Zoom, um, video conference, but without any audio or any video, and they could privately text her what they think of the guy or what they think of, um, you know, what questions Robin should ask or, or they could analyze, oh, this guy seems good. So they could start doing Google searches on the guy or things he says, they could fact check during the date. So, so that's the Cyrano feature that Zoom should add to increase Zoom dating. Um, then I wrote a one called a conversation helper. So while you're on the date, Zoom will transcribe what the person's saying in real time and have Google look up any interesting facts or news about like what if the person's talking about, I don't know, the Pittsburgh Pirates and you don't know anything about the Pittsburgh Pirates. Zoom could, could look up on Google everything about the Pittsburgh Pirates. Well, it's thank God they won that game 10-9 last weekend because of so-and-so's home run. Well, what happens though when you really go meet that person and you're thinking, oh my God, this guy's a genius. And then you go and it's like, he's like a doorknob. I don't know. That's not on my ideal list. This don't, funny. I didn't say these were good ideas. This is just how I'm thinking about an ideal list. Uh, uh, and so I even, in order to make that idea worthwhile of putting down, I had to find uh, an app that does transcribe in real time, which I did. Uh, it's called, uh, I don't know. It's on the Google app store. Uh, and there's open source, uh, good firms is uh, open source. Uh, 
Then Zoom, I thought they should have filters so someone could look better. Maybe, you uh -huh. know, use AI to get rid of the blemishes, you know, kind of like Instagram filters. Yeah. Uh, let's see. In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia.